you would please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks on this first Sunday of Advent, Lord. We give you thanks for you. Lord, that we gather here to know you more, to seek you more. And Lord, we pray that this season would be a season that changes who we are, Lord, that you transform us each day, Lord, to be people of hope, expectantly waiting for your return. So Holy Spirit, come, speak, and speak loudly. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would, before you sit, we're doing something a little bit different to start things this morning. We're going to stay standing for just a moment. I know it's a little weird, but this is the first Sunday of Advent, so we'll throw a little on. Because as we heard earlier, this first Sunday of Advent lit hope. This is a season of expectation, a season of waiting. of King Jesus. Yes, we celebrate his birth, but we also celebrate and await his second coming. Wonderful time and opportunity to tune our hearts and help us focus uh, towards Jesus and to see, see Jesus more, to see Jesus during this time and to be hopeful that we've been brought out of darkness and into marvelous light. And so to start things off, the reason we're still standing is because there's something beautiful about standing together and saying and singing and praying together, right? So I want us to start this hopeful Advent season saying this refrain together. So we're going to say this, and we're going to say this three times. And then what my hope is, we're going to bookend beginning and end of our time and sermon to see what God does in our hearts and our response to our hope being built on Jesus Christ. So let's say this together. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Again, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And one last time, my hope is built on we can be seated. So I wanted to do that today because I want that to kind of be what frames everything we're going to walk through uh, this morning. That this is, as we walk through hope, what it means to be hopeful, why should we be hopeful at all, what does Jesus have to do with hope, that we remember and that refrain kind of echoes in our hearts and our minds that my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And so with that, this theme of hope in mind, and even though we've just said that, I want to ask us this question. Where is your hope? And I know what we just said, but in doing so, really think about this. I want us to be completely honest, to really be honest with ourselves. This is not something we have to say out loud, so it's between us and Jesus. But I want to ask you to be completely transparent with yourself. Where is your hope? Where do you put your hope? Where does your hope come from? Because there's so many different answers that we could go with in this, right? There'd be so many different things. There's, it could be our families, our spouses, our friends. It could be our jobs, our bank account, our savings account, our retirement, 
could be our neighborhood that we live in. It could be our social status. Maybe it's our notoriety. Maybe our hope is in our homes or our cars or football teams and baseball teams. And sometimes that doesn't go as well as, as we plan it. It could be in our kids. It could be in our church and our life group. Maybe our hope really is found in Jesus. But really think, where is your hope? When you go day to day, through every single moment of life, where is your hope? Because as we think about this, Advent is a time that's going to shake this up, most likely for a lot of us. Because if I'm honest, and I might not be the only one in this room, sometimes the easiest thing to focus on is just getting through each day, getting through each moment, each minute, each hour. There's not this hope for the long term of things, it's minute by minute. And even if we're thinking long-term, a week, a month, a year, 5, 10, 20, whatever it may be, that's still really not that long-term in terms of eternity. So we, we naturally think in these short-term bursts. Our hope is built on things that have short-term reliabilities. And when we read passages like today, uh, Matthew uh, today, and we read things throughout Scripture, uh, they speak of the end times and judgment day. And, a lot, and, and the easiest thing is to think that that's where it's in. That's what we got to get to. That's kind of the culmination. That is the long-term goal is judgment day. But what we really see as we look deeper into those passages is that's really the next step in eternity. That even the end times, as Jesus returns, that's not the end of life and existence. That's not the end of who we are. That's the next step in life with God forever. So all these things that we think about when we, when we think of hope, what perspective do we really have? When we think of Jesus, we see that hope is far greater than any of those other things that we can place our hope in day to day. Those are the easiest things. They're right here. They're sitting right in front of us. But hope has an eternal effect. It's not just for here and now today. It's not just about survival minute to minute or situation to situation. This is about eternity. The ramifications are for forever. And so you might be thinking, does it really? Does it really, though? Because I've been able to get to this point, living moment to moment, day to day, maybe situation to situation, life stage to life stage. Is there really need to hope beyond? If I just know that Jesus is returning, what does hope have to do with that? Well, in short, and we'll break this down even more, the answer is, is yeah, it does. It matters. And I would even go as far to say, like, emphatically, yes, it does. We have to have it. We have to. Because we need Jesus so bad. We need Jesus so, so, so bad. Why is there a need for this kind of hope? Well, let's look in this broad, let's look at the big picture first. Because I think it, we would all probably be able to agree on the fact that when we look at the world we live in, it's a little broken. When we think of things like world hunger, starvation, violence, greed, 
gluttony, sloth, envy, lust, anger, the list goes on and on. We look at the world and it's everywhere, right? We see it in movies, we see it in television, we see it in our schools, we see it in our workplaces. We see it in our governments, those systems and structures. We even see it in the church and we even see it in our families. Across the globe, we can see brokenness all around. We see sin, the effects of sin all around. And this isn't just an American problem, right? It's not a European, Asian, African, South American, or any continent, any country, city, state. This is a worldwide global sickness that encompasses everything and everyone throughout all creation, not just people. And when I look at those things, it's so easy, so easy for me to feel hopeless and helpless sometimes. And with all that we do, with all the advances in technology, with all the advances uh, in, in medicine, with all these things going on, with the, the growth of the church, it still looks like this. The world is still like this. I don't know all the statistics about the increases in world hunger and all those things off the top of my head or anything, but I do know that if I just look at my lifetime, if I just look in the span of my, my existence so far, media, social media, all that stuff has grown and blown up, and all it's done to me is highlight how global and far-reaching the problem of sin is in our world, how deep it is and how how it has just overtaken everything we have. And the world as a whole, we keep grasping, right? We grasp at something. There's always something. Hopes in this, movements in that, politicians, leaders, whatever. We grab for anything and everything we can find to, to find some, some glimpse of hope. Our world needs hope. And that's not just for today. That's, that's for eternity. We look and we go, man, this problem is huge. Huge. And to keep on this very lighthearted path of sin, the problem doesn't end on a global level. Unfortunately, this is not just a problem that we can look at as Christians inside the church and be like, you know, it's out there. That's the other. That's for the world to deal with, right? Sin is very, very, very personal. And this is the part sin and brokenness of the world that we don't like to look at. If I'm completely honest, I don't wake up every single morning, go in the mirror and be like, you are a sinner. You are idolatrous. You are greedy. You are lustful. You are angry. You are selfish. That is not my normal morning routine. I can very easily look out at everything else and be like, they are in need of Jesus, but it's a lot harder for me to look at the depths of my soul and to admit the parts of my life that I need Jesus. It is very, very personal. That brokenness in each one of us, it just keeps spreading, right? We can try to mask it. We can try to hide it. But we'll always fail. Every one of us, we have those, those deep-rooted things that we, we kind of like to gloss over. We elevate everything above God. Families, kids, and it's not that these things are bad. These are good things. These are gifts from God, but very easily they become the ultimate things, right? 
They all go to the front and take the place of that place that the Lord is supposed to have. And so when we lean on those things, we see what happens when they falter, when kids go to college, when we have marital problems, when the market takes a hit, when our jobs aren't steady. In Houston, we know a thing or two about flooding of our homes when we place all of our trust and reliance in that. We see that everything that we place in our life is number one, is at best on sinking sand. We even go to church and we kind of have those moments of awakening and then Monday comes. Kind of fall a little bit. Tuesday comes, we take another step back. And by Friday, we're still back in it. Pleading for hope, crying. All these things, as good as they can be, are still temporal. And we place all of our hope, we place all of our life into those baskets, and they just don't have roots deep enough to withstand the winds and the waves of life. They just don't. They get blown away way too easy. And what makes sin so dangerous is that it it destabilizes who we are at our core. This is a, a us at at the deepest level of who we are. Because the external things that we often call sins are just the external realities and manifestations of a sickness that we have in our soul by nature. It's the result of a greater problem. That soul sickness that we have in separation from the Lord. Because you see, without Jesus, we're kind of left wandering. If we're honest with ourselves and we look at those things, I think we'd say that when we place those things, we kind of are jumping from good fortune to good fortune, situation to situation. It's always kind of moving. Hope is kind of shifting. Goodness moves. It's, always, it's, a, it's a moving target that we can never hit. And any wave that comes crashing in, the whole house just crumbles when we do that. Falls apart. Sounds bleak. It's because sin is. Sin is dark and it's bleak. Apart from Christ, we are in total and utter darkness. Apart from Christ, we're hopeless and we are in consistent and constant need. Now, there's also that point where we may even say, you know, I'm not so bad, though. I'm not so bad. Like, looking at some of the other people in the, this world, I'm not as bad as, not as bad as my neighbor. I'm like, look, I'm pretty good. I live a pretty good life. The person at work, whoever, your random cousin, whatever it may be, I'm not that bad. And we begin to view the goodness in our life in relation to others. And so we kind of puff up our own righteousness, looking at everything else, be like, but at least I'm not that. So I am pretty good. My sin isn't that deep. But here's the thing about that as well. And Pastor Matt Chandler uh, was preaching about hope and said this. And this is, a, this is a pretty sobering thought. He says, the scary part of the Bible is not that God judges our weakness, wickedness. It's that he sees our righteousness, quoting Isaiah, uh, you know, drawing from Isaiah here. He sees our righteousness as filthy rags. That compared to the holiness of God, it's your goodness that falls short. Not just your wickedness that condemns you, but your goodness. Even our goodness falls short. And it may be hard 
to hear. It's not the, my favorite thing to say. It's not something that I think Advent, you know, let's start with sin and hopelessness. But the reality is the sin in our life and the consequences are harsh. And that's why hope, though, is so essential. Where our hope is found, that's, this is why it's so important. And you may be thinking at this point, look, I, was, I thought this was going to be like a hopeful, like, praise God type Sunday. This is like we lit a candle and it's like, if it's nice in here. We've got like candles and Christmas trees. Like, this is supposed to be uplifting. But that's where the cross comes in. Because after hearing, like, even our goodness is like filthy rags. If anything, what that does is it points us towards Jesus to see why we need the cross so bad. Do you see why your hope must be found in something greater than all these things? By our nature, we're going we're, we're we're to fall apart. We're going to be blown away by the wind. We're like dust. We're like sand on the patio during a windstorm. It's there and gone within the blink of an eye. We've got to be rooted in something else. And that's the goodness of Jesus Christ. That's the good news. And it's right when we hit this point that I think this is where hope is a light. It's not just kind of an ideology. It is a literal. The hope begins to shine through and praise the Lord that we don't have to stay trapped in that brokenness that we've been talking about this whole time so far. That's not where we stay. That's not where our hope is found. We don't stay there as hopeless, wandering lost. We have hope in Jesus Christ. We, when, his, when we talk about his return and his coming, we're talking about the redemption of all that brokenness. We're talking about that new creation, new life, life eternal, hope for the future, hope for eternity. And it's because of that darkness it's why Jesus was born. That's why Jesus died. This is why he conquered death and rose again from the dead. This is why he's going to return. This is the why of the gospel. That because of that darkness, Jesus has come, not at our, not because of what we've done and our goodness, but because he is good. He has done this on his own power his own holiness and his goodness, he paid the price for all this himself. Is this light and hope, this future coming, we read in this prophetic part of Matthew we have here on the screen. Of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Just when it gets the darkest that it can be, just when all hope seems lost, hope shines through. The glory of God is greater than that great darkness. And what's the result of this coming of the Son of Man, the return of King Jesus? In Revelation, John writes this, 
that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. All the sickness in this world we've talked about, all the brokenness in this world we have talked about, will be healed. That's the hope that we have. That's the hope that we place our trust in. That's the hope of Advent. And what's even better is that the return is Jesus. This is not just this otherworldly thinking that something's going to happen in the future. This affects our life today. You may know this guy who, wrote, who, who said this quote, a guy named David Cumby. He may pop his head in around every once in a while. He says, Jesus is our only hope. Jesus is our only hope. And his future coming determines our way of seeing and living in the present. In Christ, we live as people of hope who are no longer citizens of the kingdom of darkness, but of the kingdom of light. This is the, the hope for the future has a present reality effect. It's a reality that changes our lives today. So then we think, what happens now? What does this mean today? Is there anything that I can do? Is, I mean, okay, so I'm going to hope in this return to Jesus, and you say it affects my life today, and I, I guess it kind of does, but what, what, what happens? Like, is there any part that I play in this? Well, we get back to our passage in Matthew. It's a good thing the Bible's around to help guide us in this. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows. We're preparing for something. We're getting ready and hoping in something. We don't know when it's going to happen. Not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only and this is where it comes in. Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So we, what does it mean for us to live in hope? It means to get ready. Get ready for the return of King Jesus. Get ready today. And Advent's the perfect season for us to start. To zero and focus our hope in Jesus that we've already experienced in his birth and look forward to his future return. What's great is that hope is not a passive thing. It is action-oriented. It stirs our hearts and it changes us. What we hope in will shape who we are. And that's why this Advent we're focusing on the practice of fasting. Because fasting serves to prepare and align our hearts, line it up with this futuristic hope. Pastor John Piper wrote this, fasting is a physical expression of heart hunger for the coming of Jesus. Fasting is a physical manifestation of our spiritual starvation for the Lord. Fasting is a physical way of us spiritually emptying ourselves of the sickness of sin and praying for the Holy Spirit to fill us. It's a physical reality of the spiritual state in which we are in. Our actual hunger serves as a sign of the spiritual hunger we have for the Lord. That longing, that longing and hope for the one that we're to place our trust in. Where is your hope? What effect does it has? Are we preparing for the return of the Son of Man? Well, as we think about fasting this Advent, it's going to come up a lot. This question is going to come up a whole lot. How hungry are you for Jesus to return? And Piper provides some more provocative thought for this. 
the almost universal absence of regular fasting for the Lord's return is a witness to our satisfaction with the presence of this world and the absence of the Lord. This is not the way it should be. Our sin has satisfied us with the presence of this world, and fasting is something that jolts us back into a posture of starvation and hunger for Jesus Christ. It's a physical reality of our spiritual condition. A hungry belly, I think that's something we can't deny, right? We all know when we're hungry. I think about babies. When they're hungry, do you know that they're hungry? Right? They kind of let you know by crying and all sorts of other things that they want some food. As we get older, we kind of taper that down most of the time. We still have moments of hangriness, but we see that's our way of crying out for food. We are, they're crying. The body is crying for food. What if that was our, that same way a baby cries out in hunger is the same way that we cry out for Jesus, our spiritual hunger. Fasting is one of the ways that we live as people of hope. And that's why uh, we want to invite you into this practice of fasting, this Advent, to help us align the, our spiritual reality with that physical hunger. These spiritual practices and disciplines are part of how we live in the kingdom of God today. It's how we live in hope. It's how we live in the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. And the more we engage with these practices during Lent, I'm gonna, I would bet anything in the world that the more that we engage with fasting in Lent, and Advent, sorry, other season, Advent, the bigger Christmas is going to mean on Christmas morning. The more Christmas will mean when that day comes. We are, this world is starving. Starving for Jesus. We are starving for Jesus. And our hope and prayer is that we will become people of hope people living in the light of Jesus Christ. And it's that light that we want to invite us all to stand in as we enter the season of Advent and as we engage in the practice of fasting. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We need you. We need you. So if you would please stand, I want to end with us saying this refrain, thinking about the hope we have in Jesus for eternity redemption, new life. And let's proclaim this now together again. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Say it again. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And one last time, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Amen, amen, amen.